Hello and welcome back to the Interrogating Latinidad podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be talking a lot about gender, um, the X and Latin X, and just the nature of gender and the imposed binary within Latinidad, colonialism, and within the U.S. and Latin America. Um, so to begin, I'll introduce myself. I'm Rachel. I'm a senior at Tufts. I'm studying education and american studies i use she her pronouns um i don't know if there's anything else i need to say (laughs) um i can go next so um rachel and i so i'm camilla we are the co um we are co-hosts in this podcast i am a graduate student um my master's in educational studies um at tufts university this is my um, so yeah, if we have two guests today, um, and I'm really excited. Um, so if the two of you could please introduce yourselves, that'd be awesome. Uh-huh. Yeah, of course. Uh, hey all, I, my name is Alex Lechi. Um, I am a current sophomore at Tufts University. I'm studying IR and music. Um, but yeah, I don't know what else to say, but <laughs> glad to be here. And my name is Felipe Campano. I am an Applied Environmental Science major at Tufts, and my pronouns are they, them. Perfect. Okay, my pronouns are she, her. <laughs> um, so I'm going to start by reading a quote from an article called The X in Latin X is a Wound, Not a Trend from a blog post. I think it's called Color Block, The Stories of Us, and it's written by Alan Baleas Lopez. Um, and they say, basically, I'm going to actually, I don't think I'm going to do a direct quote, more of like a power phrase, but the author says that the X in Latin X is, represents wounds that they say are settlement, anti-blackness, femicides, and in in articulation. So essentially saying that the X in Latin X allows us to engage in critical reflection, um, against, on the violence against um various marginalized communities within latin america has been accepted um in latin america and how the x is kind of this linguistic intervention into this violence against queer people against black people against indigenous people um so yeah that is kind of informing our conversation of how what what is this x what does it say and how does it impact our understanding of latinidad and then we're also going to talk a lot about as we said before language which kind of also goes into the x um so i think like right off the bat as someone who is a little bit of a language geek and not trying to like change the topic but i think that um one of the big things about the term latinx is that the way it sounds when we say it um is already like i wouldn't call it a difficulty but in terms of how the language flows right the x doesn't flow as one word with latin and i think that like purposefully in the beginning that that was a an interesting move to make sure that we're emphasizing um non-cisgendered people within the word of being um part of the latinx community which i think is really cool um and i think that like even in latin languages if you were to pronounce latin x so mainly like spanish and portuguese um it does sound like two words and it's almost like you're combining 
um, something and putting it together to amplify the meaning of what that word means. Um, and I think like the necessity of the X comes a lot from the fact that the language is super gendered um, in Latin languages in general. So um, a lot, like everything, even objects have um, a gender and everything is either um, ending in like E, O, or A. And that does um, signify or give a specific meaning um, to the gender of these things and people as well. Um, so I think that like this... The X being there and like I think in the internet as well, using the at sign or using um, some other symbol to um, specify that no matter what the gender um, of the person is, they're included in that conversation um, started off as really cool. I'm now like wondering and questioning and um, in my own use and life and the way other people are using if when we say Latin X, people refer um to Latinx as just like Latinos and Latinas, or if they're actually referring to everybody else that does not fit in to this category, um, and like how that's kind of shifting um, in in like the way that we're using this term. Yeah, that makes me to reference um one of the readings we did in class on the transforming um, misogynoir when um, Moya Bailey kind of talks about how. Um, black women is the term that is most often used but when you use the term black women you're imagining um, a cisgendered black woman so you're kind of that experience of transness doesn't necessarily get privileged within that term and when she's talking about how she wanted to write about black women in her book she talks a lot about how all these other terms have been kind of coined or brought up to kind of include um non-cisgendered people but they don't really i guess do the work so she talks about how people will use women with an x instead of the e but says that this is it's doing a lot of work for one letter to accomplish and says however even as women by definition includes gender non-binary agender and gender variant people who don't identify as women reading the term in text does not make these communities readily apparent so I'm thinking the same thing when it comes to Latinx, so this effort to, um, you know, call attention to to all different communities, but just because of the way our society operates and identities that are privileged, it's hard for one letter to interrupt all these systems of oppression. Yeah, I mean, I think definitely um, the idea of you were talking about how those, uh, in writing these things are not easily communicable sometimes, I fully agree. I think that as someone who identifies mostly as transfeminine, um, I, I've never felt when I see the X in women or women in non-binary labeled groups, um, I've never felt that they've been welcoming towards people who are assigned male at birth. And so it's, it's I would agree. I don't, I don't think that one letter really can do that work because then you have these spaces that are meant to be inclusive and are labeled as inclusive, but really don't do the work they're saying they're doing. And they become a very exclusive I think it's like interesting to think about how something so small 
is like the letter that ends in the word has such a big meaning in society and like how that can impact negatively so many people and just be exclusive right and I think about like someone who studies language I think about the way that language affects the way we think a lot um and I think that the genderness of Latin languages is like a big thing um for these communities and it's like so limiting because so many things are gendered um and it's like I'm I'm almost like grappling with this idea being someone who like has always identified as a woman and like I don't have a problem with the language but then encountering people in my life who do um and understanding the experiences of these people and and trying to incorporate the language in my daily life and and really trying to understand that like the same way um I feel like racially I don't fit into a box gender-wise don't fit into a box and it's so hard to describe in words and we're trying to we need words to describe things um but sometimes these words just don't do the job that we want them to do and it just gets really frustrating yeah i mean definitely with the experience of, of trying to use um, latinx versus latino or latina in my daily language i've personally found that i prefer to use latine which is with the e in the end instead of the x simply because um when i try to actually have conversations with people in my life who are raised speaking spanish and have trouble with um the gendered endings i've just found it in practice easier to explain to a spanish-speaking audience with an e because it in addition to being an easier sound for them to wrap their head around i feel also that um the x sort of acts as a replacement that can be switched out with any of the endings and i feel personally that the e draws specific attention to gender non um gender non-binary people and gender minorities i think generally um when it comes to terms like uh latina i think they also have like the distinct benefit of like i feel like there's i'm not sure if you guys like kind of resonate with this but i've kind of heard a lot of a lot of conversations in like uh like amongst a latin uh latin uh, ex people about how like about whether or not like they want the word latinx to be like the umbrella term and i think like sometimes regardless of how how you feel about that conversation like i think there are some times where it can get it it can get like a little bit toxic i mean some people accuse it of being a colonialist term um or of like something that is completely i don't know erasing to the people who are contained inside the category um so i think like when it comes to the gender neutral language that's e- easier to uh, kind of assimilate into the language i guess um those are always going to have like less social pushback yeah i also think it's interesting even when we talk about like I mean, my scope of reference is the United States because that's where I've lived my whole life and how our understanding of gender comes from colonialism and is so colonial in nature and white in nature. Like, I talk about this a lot with my my friends, um, especially like my other Black and Latinx friends about we're expected to understand womanhood within this like colonial white lens and like how does that understanding of gender relate to the way we think of ourselves um in terms of gender and i think that's really interesting of how you know we have all these terms and there's this hyper focus on language you know but where is this focus on actually changing the way we treat people and the way we relate to people and include people and i think sometimes 
you know, people will spend all their energy talking about the X or the E or all this and not enough energy talking about the actual violence that happens and, like, making change. So I think that's also really interesting of, like, all of our even, like, Latino and Latina, especially in the United States, like, even those terms are this the products of these same systems of oppression and colonialism. And it's, like, colonial in itself, you know, of our understanding of, of gender. So I think that's something I think about a lot when it comes to, like, these terms. And I think, yeah, there's just so much going on. And, like, can an X represent that? But also, like, what else, can, you know, can we do? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I would I would resonate with that. I think even on the smaller scales and even in scales in which people are considered activists, like at Tufts, for example, you have the Latinx Center and you have people who identify as leftists and people who claim that they care a lot about gender minorities. But then you have the actual Latino community at Tufts, who a lot of the time have actually found to be very resistant to this kind of thing. And, you know, of course, that's like within the context, I understand that they're coming mostly from Latin American countries where this is not a popular conversation. So I tend to have more patience with people who grew up outside of the United States. But um, I haven't really felt that there's been actually any work done to actually bridge the gap between queer Latinos or queer Latina people and and non-queer people at Tufts. Um, I've talked about this a lot with my friends. I feel like uh, as I've gotten there and, you know, growing up in Miami, I've grown up really around almost entirely Latina people. I felt that I've had to sacrifice a great deal of both identities to fit in with the other community. And I don't know a way around it because as I've assimilated more towards queerness, I feel that I've kind of had to sacrifice a lot of my Latinidad to accept someone who is queer. Yeah, I also am thinking about like we're trying to encompass all the the gender, gender non-conforming and all of the people in this Latinx term or Latina term and also i think like with with the okay okay we're good we're good um i also think that it's it's good to remember that the term latino latina latine latinx is predominantly talking about white people within these communities even if you are gender non-conforming non-binary and like you identify outside of the binary spectrum um you you are still not recognized as like a black Latine or Latinx person. Um, and I think that that has a lot to do with how accepting the spaces that we navigate are. And like the work is not being done in terms of um, outside of the non-binary, even if we are changing the words, I agree with that part. And I also think that like, even beyond that, like who are um, non-conforming to the binaries and on top of that are racialized are like really not part of the conversation and it's like another level of exclusion that comes in with like being considered latina and like trying to encompass the culture of so many countries in one term and i think like sometimes i get lost in this identity where it's like what really is this identity right like and then like who is part of the conversation of what this identity is? Like, who are the voices that we're listening to um, and the people that we are seeing represented? Um, And I think, like, I'm thinking back to, like, Brazil um, and when I lived there and when I go there now, and my circles are very heavily influenced by non-binary people and non-white people in Brazil, but that's a choice that I made. 
Um, and I'm very grateful for that because it makes me reflect on, you know, my use of language and who I'm including in the language that I'm using. But I also think that like these conversations come up because I insert myself in these, I put myself in these positions and like, I, I think that's a privilege for me to be able to, to be in this space. Um, and then like feel safe there as well. Um, and I think that it's a very different dynamic in Brazil and then outside of Brazil, like being here in the US, I feel more included in the Latinx community here in the US. And then in Brazil, there's a huge pushback of people to not be part of the Latinx community. So whether you are part of the, I'm Latina or Latino, or you're within the Latinx or Latine, people are just, they don't feel part of this Latin, like, encompassing word because they're like I'm more than just like a Latin person um so I think it's like so complicated because we are putting all of these identities into one word and then we're going racial identities ethnic identities gender identities and all of that and like we're just trying to pack it all up into one word and there's such a need for us to put things into words but I just think it's like interesting to think about who we're excluding and who we're including um, when using these terms. So I think in the um, misogynoir, what is it? How do you say it, Rachel? Misogynoir. Misogynoir um, book, the misogynoir transformed book. She does a really good job at using a bunch of different terms every time she is referring to, to the people within that community to make sure that it's not one word encompassing everybody um, and making sure that when readers are like reading the, her text, they are thinking about all the different um, categories that she is talking about. So I think that's really interesting. And I think this conversation needs to happen more um, within these like Latinx circles so that we're not just using this one word and then just kind of expecting everybody to understand that it, it means everyone, right? And it doesn't yeah. just mean binaries of, you know, she and he. That makes me think of something that, I don't know if I'm going to get their name perfectly correct, but Profe, um, oh my God. I think it's Lorgia Peña. I'm not 100% sure, but she teaches in the um, Latino Studies, I think it's still called Latino Studies Department. And she talked a lot about how there's a huge difference between Latin American studies and like Latinx studies. And a lot of people don't know that difference of Latin American studies being study of Latin America and Latinx studies is something that's specific um, in the U.S. about resisting systems of oppression and white supremacy and things like that. And I think it's interesting with the term Latinx and we talk about these different terms of um, it not just being a term, it being an intentional like movement or an effort to challenge not just an effort to reintegrate into existing systems um so i think that's also something that i think people will use terms and language and be like okay we created a more inclusive term like cool everything's fine great but then lose that second not necessarily second but that also intertwined aspect of like this is not a just about making an existing system of oppression a little bit more inclusive. It's like, how do we get rid of that system in general? Right. I honestly didn't even know, I wasn't aware of that distinction mm -hmm. until now, actually. <laughs> uh, the distinction between like Latinx studies and Latin American studies, um, which I, it means, I, you know, I think like 
then there it, that does kind of get to more of the stuff of like you know Latinx being more of an int- intentional decision. Like it is an identity that you choose in order to or that you embrace in order to go against like colonial systems. Um, so yeah, honestly, it, this is bringing my head back to like the debate between like oh, are we Latin Latinos or like Latin X or you know just because like very complicated <laughs> yes yeah i mean even then i have heard a lot of pushback from people who primarily are indigenous who um say that they feel that even the word latino is a colonialist mm. structure like they don't want to identify that way in the first place yes um, which you know it, it changes the whole game really because you're just like at that point um you want like, a lot of distinctions between either or um afro-latino um, yeah, I mean, at that point, the language kind of becomes obsolete. Yeah, I think a lot about how the language we have to talk about resistance was also given to us by those systems that we're trying to resist against. And I think in our earlier episode, we talked about Latinidad in a, as a category in general and how in itself it feels anti-Indigenous and anti-Black because of the people that it invokes, like when you talk about Latinidad. And I think that's just like a really interesting point of like, who are all these terms serving and like are they all just reabsorbing us into these same systems we're trying to get away from yeah i i had a really interesting conversation with someone in college a while ago um and it was about we at umass amherst we had the latinos unidos was the name of the organization and we had the latinx center there as well um but this Latinos Unidos organization was very much represented by like light skin and white Latinos. And it didn't really ever talk about, address, or include um, like what it meant to be part of like the people that are fighting for the X or to be the people that are fighting for the Afro Latinidad as well um and i thought it was really interesting because i have a friend who it who considers herself afro latina and she's like whenever people call me latina i don't feel latina i feel afro latina because unless i say afro latina nobody like really adds that piece of blackness into the conversation and it's so exclusive not to put that in um and at the same time like I think people who are outside of this Latinx community in general um, tend to have a hard time understanding that there are Black people in other ethnicities. And so it's like not everybody is Black American. Um, There are Black people all over the world. And if we're not including that Afro in front of things, it's almost as if we're not including them in the conversation. Um, So that was like a really interesting reflection for me because like if I, in my head, I'm like, oh yeah, it's a, it's beautiful. We just say Latinidad and it includes everybody. It doesn't. It's like, if, if I'm not saying Latinx people, I'm not saying Afro Latinx people or other terms like that, then like the people that are listening to the conversations might not even like cross their mind that I'm talking about those people as well. And I'm thinking like what Filippi was saying about um, indigenous people as well. Like we don't even have a term. Right? Like, we don't even use the term for indigenous Latinx people. Like, yeah. 
we usually don't use the full name and we don't have like an abbreviated, you know, which does it need to be abbreviated? Like probably not, you know, their full identity is indigenous and like maybe we need to use that as well. Yeah, I think that's interesting because part of the um, reading or like the article that talks about the ex being a wound talks about how Latinidad itself is an identity born out of violence against indigenous people and dispossession. And there's a lot of indigenous people in Latin America who completely resist that label of Latinx and I think or Latino in general or Hispanic or whatever. Um, and I think that's really interesting how intersectionality comes in and how we understand different identities. Because I was having a conversation with a friend the other day and they use she, her pronouns and we're talking about how she doesn't identify with womanhood, but they identify with being a black woman more than the term woman of how like their experience in life is so intertwined with black womanhood, not at all with this term like womanhood and like kind of challenging again, like how our notion of gender is so steeped in whiteness and understanding and how racialized identities do make such a huge difference in how we understand ourselves in relation to other people and I think about that a lot and just in Latinidad in general like what it means to be Latina you have these intersecting identities but also I feel like that term itself is inherently exclusive because I feel like when we think of Latina we're not really thinking about trans Latinas and we're not really thinking about black Latinas and so like that term itself I feel like doesn't do the work that it needs to do to truly be representative. Yeah, and I also, um, specifically, this is something I didn't really encounter as much until I got to Tufts, um, but I feel that on the American side of the discussion, there is a great deal of ignorance about racial relations in Latin America and even just anywhere outside of the U.S. because I identify as a white Latino. I have had to deal, or white Latina, I've had to deal with a bunch of people who either insist that I'm either not white or that they don't think that I'm white or that I'm a person of color. And I have to really point it out that like, this is a thing that you have to be aware of because white Latinos are very much part of the system of oppression, especially in Latin America. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very important distinction that needs to be made. Um, and so even to begin having this discussion in the United States, I feel like I have to lay that groundwork every single time I have it is like, no, you have to recognize that Latinidad is not a race. It is a full cultural identity. And even then at that point, it's not a unique, I mean, it's not a universal identity. It's, very separated among many different lines even just among nationality yeah i definitely agree it's one of those situations where like latinidad is such a big umbrella that it becomes not specific enough a term for to describe the experiences of the people within it i think this is especially noticeable when you like talk to talk to other latinos and uh, like a lot there are a lot of latinos especially at tufts who are very very eager to kind of like adopt the term Latinx when they think that it will absolve them of their white uh, privilege. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> it's a really big problem. I was talking, oh, one of my, my friends, like I have a friend who uh, is part of uh, ISOP, the Indigenous Students Organization uh, at Tufts. And um, she was saying like, she talks to so many uh so many of the people like who hang out at the latinx center and she like is um she's really active in like the latinx community at tufts but she's noticed that her identity as an indigenous person is almost always like glossed over and she's talking to people about the experiences that she faces as an indigenous uh, latinx woman 
and then they think that they can like kind of claim the same experiences without necessarily having the same uh, ident- uh, weight of identity as, as she does. You know, like it's it's very easy to claim to claim la- uh, Latinidad when they think that like mm. yeah. Um, I'm thinking about Tufts courses now because um, I am taking a, a course in the Latin American studies department and it's a film course in the latin american studies department and we watch films the whole semester not one of the films involved a non-binary person trans person at all and even i'm thinking like in so many boxes in my head i'm like we watched indigenous movies um and we talked about Um, the difference between a movie that was made about indigenous people and the movies that were made by indigenous people. Um, And so that was a big conversation that we had in class. But not once did we talk about the gender binary or outside of the binary, right? Like in this class. And I'm wondering, like this identity got completely lost in this conversation. And it's like, not represented at like it is represented but not in mass media like in popular films like you have to really go out looking for for movies and for short films that talk about the experience of latinx people who are not within the binary and then like even like film directors producers and all of these people are always like either um part of the binary and i mean 90 percent of the movies were probably male directed um and i remember we talked about one specifically one female director um and writer um in this class and i'm thinking now latin american studies department is called latin american studies so are we not including um any of the other you know like identities within that um and like now i'm thinking the language is very exclusive and is that giving an excuse for professors not to have to include these identities like within the classroom um and then not talk about them and how they're excluded and it's like if you don't have a film to show or you don't have a director which there are and i'm sure there are plenty because when i researched this um one female director she had a movie about um, about the trans identity in one specific Latin American country. I don't remember which. And I was like, oh, why didn't we watch that movie instead? And the professor kind of just, you know, it's like you're not comfortable talking about it because you don't know about it or whatever the reason is. But it's really hard to take an, a Latin American film class and then understand that the gender binary is not addressed and it being not being part of the gender binary was not even glossed over, right? It was not even, like, brought up at all, and it was kind of frustrating. So I think that in the conversation of womanhood, that's where I was bringing up the conversation of people who don't feel attached to womanhood, right? And it's like, sometimes I don't feel attached to womanhood, and I'm, like, still cisgendered woman, um, part of this Latinx community, but a lot of the experiences of womanhood because of how restrictive it is in the Latinx community um, makes cisgendered women not feel like part of it. And then I'm thinking, 
if I, as a cisgender woman, I don't feel part of it. I cannot imagine like the experience of someone who is not cisgendered, like being part of this class and then having to deal with like all of this lack of information that, that is within like film studies in general. And it, like, it was just an interesting reflection for me to have um, of the class and of the material that we are given and like how much the department is investing on like requiring teachers like professors to really incorporate these themes into their classrooms like and it's I don't see it and I wish I had more experience um, in the department and with other professors and I wish I had taken more classes to talk more about this but I just personally right now with one semester at Tufts I have not seen that conversation really come up um, and like outside of the language course, which was something that was brought up by other professors previously. And it was optional for professors to bring up in class the use of neutral language um, in the language courses. And then like the culture courses, like where is the push for these conversations to be included in class? And like, are we just relying on the comfortability of professors to include these conversations um, in academic material? Yeah, and I think also just thinking about Latin America and how gender-based violence is so integral to modern-day Latin America in, like, in the um, same reading of the Latinx, the X in Latinx is a Wound, talks about um, the sexual assault of indigenous women as a way of conquering and a way of, like, asserting dominance and then also says in tribes that celebrated and uplifted third fourth and fifth genders religion was used by european colonizers as a tool of control where indigenous communities were taught that only two binary genders existed men and women and anything about outside that binary was bad so i think um even in latin american studies as opposed to like latino studies or latinx studies that erasure of um the institution of the gender binary as being part of colonialism as being part of what we consider latin america today is such like a glaring erasure of understanding the identity and also just this weaponized like control and violence over identities marginalized by like patriarchy as an ingrained way of control and dehumanization when it comes to like enslaved women as well when black people were brought over to latin america um i think it's just so integral to understanding how this identity came to be and how this violence is so ingrained into this identity and the fact that we don't talk about it at all i think it's so so harmful because like femicide is so prevalent and and heartbreaking in the united states and latin america and how that feels like something separate to the identity rather than like interrogating how actually this violence against women and this violence against um an expansive understanding of gender is actually part of the way that colonizers asserted control and like created what we consider modern day latin america and I think it's pervasive also because like even among circles of people who are Latina and women who even in and both cis and trans women in the United States and in Latin America have encountered um, who are also very exclusive with their ideas at times because there is, for example, such, an, uh, such a strict emphasis on appearance in Latin American culture. And um, I think that as someone who doesn't pass as feminine almost any of the time, 
Um, it's very difficult for me to have that conversation with anyone who identifies really as feminine, just because there is a great deal of resistance to, um, like I attempt to like, that are set for Latina people. And even though there's, a, there's, there's such a resistance, there's such an idea of preser preserving femininity among women. And that just, I feel like it's not, um, it's not considered how, especially in, in Latino communities, cis women and at times some trans women that I've met, like just aren't, um, they're so deeply ingrained in the idea of femininity that they don't want to accept anything negative or that they consider negative about like a trans person. Like, they, don't, they don't want to let anything else in. Alex, do you relate to that at all? I, uh, so, sorry, I'm just in the middle of trying to, like, connect the dots. Um, what you said kind of reminded me of how, at another point in this conversation, we were talking about how, like, um, I think Camila mentions that a, a colleague of hers didn't feel connected to the idea of, uh, of femininity or of womanhood. Um, and then, like, even earlier in the conversation, we were talking about how, um, like the term Latina doesn't really in like when we say the term Latina, we don't really imagine like a trans uh, a trans Latina or like a trans uh, Afro Latina. It kind of it kind of reminds me of how like in so I'm a trans woman and it I, like in the trans woman community, there's kind of like this. There's also a big debate of like how how much people want to claim their transness. Uh, and I think this very much relates to the conversation that we're having, especially since, like, when it comes to, because, um, like, Felipe is right, like, there are a lot of trans women who are very much, uh, very attached to the idea of femininity, uh, very attached to the idea of passing uh, as feminine or as a woman, so much so that it's, uh, like, it's an active decision not to embrace their transness and more of trying to appear as much of a cis woman as possible, which makes kind of the, the discussion even harder when it comes to areas like, um, do we, do we think like the term Latina includes uh, trans women? Cause there are a lot of trans women who say yes. And then also a lot of trans women who will say, who will say no, because uh, half, like a good portion of us don't really want to be acknowledged as trans in the first place. Um, so it, it all complicates, it all complicates everything. And I think um, just as a, as someone who would call myself a Latina, like the distinction to me is like, it's all, I don't know. It all feels very divisive. <laughs> Yeah. I also think like we put so much value in some very specific things of womanhood and I think that's one of the things that leads to a lot of people who are trans or transitioning to feel this pressure of looking like and assimilating with this womanhood that we are so ingrained in and like if you think about pre-colonialist times in latin america like we don't even talk about how much the binary was different how much values were placed differently in within the binary so even if we think pre-colonial times within the like binary of um 
male and female, there were different values given to what womanhood meant and what manhood meant. And these values changed with colonialism. And now we are valuing different things within the binaries and that's changing like how trans people see what they have to adapt to or what they feel they have to adapt to in, in order to conform to this binary, which is like very um, harmful and in general, because it's like, do, are you required to have certain body parts or to have um, a certain look in your face? Are you required to wear certain clothes? Like, what is it that the society is like requiring you to do to fit into womanhood or to fit into a trans community even? Because like, I think every community is exclusive in a way and there's always going to be someone left out of the conversation. It's like, mm -hmm really hard to include everyone all the time and, it, and that's why we have so many different spaces um, for people to feel included and so I also think of like how when we learn history when we learn about culture we don't talk about how these like dichotomies of gender have changed and how we place value in different things of these binaries over time um, and even when we talk about like outside of Latin America, when we study history and we study pre-colonial history, we don't really mention how these identities were so fluid back then. Like, why is that not talked about ever? Like we shifted to a very strict like gender um, binary after colonialism and that was not the case before. And it became very harmful after colonialism and like, why is it that these things are not being brought up in, in these culture courses and these history courses? Like we need to talk about the fact that it was changed after colonialism. These concepts were changed and they were modified in a very harmful way. Um, and now it's very exclusive where people either have to, you know, make this transition to feel part of the community or have to not make the transition so they can be considered like trans or not trans and like, can you use or not use the word? And do people consider you what you consider yourself? And it's like, yeah, it's harm on top of harm. And Actually, I feel like oh, sorry. I took a decolonization class and we talked a lot about um, indigenous understandings of gender and the great importance given to two spirit people and how that was so important when it comes to tradition and ritual. And actually, I've had a lot of classes that talk about um, non-colonial understandings of gender in Latin America, in indigenous cultures, in South Asia as well, um, in India, talking about like hijras. Um, so there's actually a lot of classes I've had that really focus on that, but I feel like we don't talk about it enough when we have like gender classes, like gender and sexuality classes and things like that focus on these more binary or non-binary understandings of gender within our current society and that makes me think about how like all these systems of oppression operate within these labels especially when it comes to um ideas of like passing and realness which was also talked about in the misogynoir book where janet mock who is a trans woman talks about redefining realness as being true to yourself rather than passing within this white yeah. supremacist system of like also being super classist of who has access to these medical transitions mm -hmm. who can you know also with femininity being so defined by whiteness and a lot of cisgendered black women being questioned about their gender for not mm -hmm. having these feminine features so i think mm -hmm. that is within whiteness and white supremacy so i think like there's so much 
going on of how the gender binary functions not only in gender oppression but also racial and class and all of this it's all kind of tied into itself i think like there's a it's good that these classes exist my thing is like this should be embedded in the curriculum of Mm. regular classes right like i should not have to take a decolonizing class in order to understand the like you know this concept of decolonization like Rather, I should be able to just take a class of like a history class um, in the Latin American studies department and then have that be addressed within the curriculum of that class rather than going, you know, to search for these specific classes so that I can hear and talk about these conversations and also so that people feel included in the conversation. Interested in seeing that shift of like let's insert this in the regular curriculum and just talk about this normally rather than having specific classes for that. And it definitely needs to be included more, even because in circles of just trans people at like the university that we're at, like it's very difficult to, um, like it's very difficult to deal with the realization that transness also kind of relies on like fitting into those standards because then you have someone who comes in with facial hair or like me who I'm six foot seven, I very much like have very broad shoulders. I have facial hair that grows in all over my face. Like um, it becomes very difficult um, because people don't recognize identities as much if they're assigned male at birth usually, and they don't identify people as trans if they don't look the, like the part. And so I, I will be uh, constantly misgendered in, in, in school. And then I watch people who are not as, or they're more androgynous or they're more feminine and they just they don't get the same reaction and it's it definitely has to do a lot with misogyny it has to do a lot with um attacking and trans misogyny specifically um it just it, it's these conversations of traditional ideas of gender versus um like a more radical change to how we perceive people um they're not widely held even within the trans community a lot of the time or at least not within the trans community at the age level that we're at and in the communities that we're at, at Tufts. Um, and that just, and I have friends who are non-binary who are in gender and sexuality classes and they don't even, like they get misgendered by the professors, you know? So I just, there's no, I feel like there's no starting this without even starting at the level of changing like, yeah, the curriculum and the curriculum, like the, the, the discussions that we're having are not even beginning to attack the problem. They're just, they're starting at such a surface level issue. Mm. Well, Definitely. <laughs> like deep breath <laughs> yeah no definitely and i think especially in like mainstream representations of latinidad it's so like stereotypical for like latinas it's either like long hair hypersexualized object yeah. of desirability or non-sexualized caretaker like cleaning lady archetype and then for men, it's also this hyper-masculine, machismo type of representation. And those images keep getting reinforced and reinforced with the limited Latinx representation we have. So those are the mainstream understandings. And then I feel like that also just reinforces in the United States how we understand binaries and like the few and far between representations. Like I love Pose, one of my favorite shows, like does have differing representations of gender but like that's obviously like one show compared to like the entire whatever you call group of media i don't know Mm -hmm. and i think like from 
what I, the people that I am exposed to in media, I'm specifically talking about Brazil because that's the one that I know the most about. Like in the media today, I know a lot of trans women who are becoming famous through singing, acting and things like that. And even within these trans women that I've seen have gained a lot of attention in Brazil today, um, a lot of them are going through procedures and doing so much to look feminine and to be feminine and tapping into this like hypersexualization of women now we're hypersexualizing trans women too and it's like unless you're an object of desire we cannot put you in the media and we cannot address you as a trans woman um and like i'm also looking for artists um all the time so there's like two um black trans brazilian um singers that i love and i listen to a lot and um both of them talk a lot about how like still having a penis and not having boobs are excluding them from this like category of trans women um and it's like that, like what I'm doing is not enough for media, right? And um, I think these conversations are like very interesting to listen to because, you know, I'm not thinking about this constantly unless I, I go out searching for this. And um, I think it's like super important for them to be gaining the attention they're getting in the media now um, and for them to be able to expose this conversation and say, I can still... Um, not have boobs i can still have a penis and still consider myself a woman or still consider myself trans and like you have to accept me because that's i'm being true to myself and like it doesn't matter what you think or what you see um this is how i identify and this is how i feel so you know it's like it's up to me not up to you whether you're looking at me or not um and i think the, these conversations like they need to be part of like mainstream like they need to be part of these classes they need to be part of of like media in general it needs to be addressed uh -huh. yeah no i definitely i especially resonate with the discussion about like how trans women that do gain a lot of attention in the media generally do have to conform to those very hypersexualized hyper standards and not only that but it's also very classist too because i'm not sure if you guys know the artist uh arca um Arca is a trans woman I, uh, uh, from Latin America. Uh, she makes mainly like uh, electronic and experimental music. Uh, and she's recently been blowing up after winning a Latin Grammy and uh, like just generally being on the cover of like a bunch of magazines. Um, so she's one, really one of the first like, I would say like one of the first trans women who have gained like this much attention recently in like uh, Latinx, in Latin American music and in uh, who's also gained like this much international recognition. Like she's actually really popular in the United States too as well. Um, but it's like, she's also very much, comes from a very privileged background. She comes from a very upper middle-class family uh, who was supportive of her transition, which is a massive privilege in the first place, let alone the, having the financial uh, and medical institutions required to uh, put in place required to like, undergo serious medical and physical transitioning to the point where she can become a trans woman who is accepted in the media who like mm -hmm. people can look at and validate her uh validate her identity yeah. mainly because of like the extensive the extensive changes that she's had to go through and like um it's it it all kind of reminds me of like 
it brings me to this question of like, is is gender abolition necessary to decolonize? Because I think that this is something that's coming up in our uh, in our conversation a, a lot, um, where it's like, in order for us to actually remove ourselves from the colonial uh, the colonial um, conceptualization of uh, what it means to be gen- to a means to be a gender, like do we have to distance ourselves from the concept entirely in order to effectively decolonize? Hmm. A big question. Big, big one. Um, so I feel like we're kind of coming up on our ideal time. So if everyone has like last thoughts they would like to share. I mean, I, I just, I go for it. I'm sorry. No, no, go for it. I just think that, um, like the bare line of where it needs to begin is really just conversation and every day. Um, I haven't really felt that any of the efforts by the university or by institutions have done much to actually change the issues that we're dealing with, especially because they don't, they have a limited power of interfering with intersocial interactions. Um, and really just the first step needs to be for people to be open to it and willing to listen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, it's, there definitely needs to be a lot more interaction as well between, like, um, between, like, uh, institutions like the Latinx Center and the LGBT Center. I myself work for the LGBT Center at Tufts. And they share and, the same house. <laughs> yeah, literally. It's actually crazy just how disconnected the two feel sometimes, despite the fact that we're in the same literally building. The same building. Um, there have, I think this semester, there was like, there was like good pro, there was a, uh, there was one, um, one major event collaboration between the two centers. I think it was, uh, part of like Encomienda or, um, something like that. Um, it was actually, it was a really big deal, but at the same time, not like super, super, super big. Um, and there's still limited interaction between the two centers just because of like, there's me there's only about three uh latinx people on in like the lgbt center and then in the latinx center there's also very few lgbt people on the staff itself so there has to be a lot more interaction and a lot more active conversing between the two these two realms in order to effectively like effectively bring in both of the perspectives and treat them I also think a lot of um, what I'm thinking about is like the pressure that is on people who are non-conforming in general um, in any aspect of their identity to fight for their identity to be included anywhere in any space. And I think that like people who are conforming can also start like pushing for this agenda to be addressed um, in certain spaces because it's tiring, right? Like if you're the one that always has to stand up for yourself and you don't feel part of the conversation and you have to constantly push for the conversation to even be had, like it's a lot, a lot of pressure. And like, I think people just need to start realizing that you realize something is missing in the conversation, in a class, in a space, in an organization, in an event, like if you're not part of that community and you see that community is missing there, like say something, right? Like it's like, bring up the conversation, push the people to understand and realize that they are being exclusive and they're not 
talking about this and like we need to start including these conversations it's like absolutely necessary and we're definitely not even scratching the surface and like the representation needs to be there um in more positions of power but unless we start talking about it the positions of power are not going to be held by these people yeah i don't know if you were alex talking about the was it the drag show that the the LGBT center and the LC kind of put on together but I went to that because the the grad school intern for the Latinx center is non-binary and they put on like a drag show and I think that that's just like a minuscule start of like potential of things that could be explored and could be done to really celebrate the intersection of these identities and I think that obviously like there's forever to go um for where we are at now but yeah i think that i just want to end on a quote from the the same the latinx reading it says um people often tell me that latinx doesn't make sense grammatically or linguistically my reply is that it does because of the nonsensical of the x is the same as the nonsensical living at the intersections of settlement anti-blackness and femicide um However, I want to remind us that the X in Latinx is one of the interventions that queer, trans, feminist, Black, and Indigenous Latinx subcultures have developed and begin addressing the four wounds of Latinidad and force us to see ourselves in all our complexity, history, and hopefully to imagine a better future. So I think hopefully that is a bit of a more hopeful note of less than <laughs> everything is absolutely terrible. But yeah. Thank you so Damn, much. That hit. Thank you. Thank you guys for participating and taking your time to talk to us and come. And thank you, all the listeners, for listening to us as well. Yeah. That's Bye. it. <laughs>